Ever since the pandemic, we've all been interested in getting back to big conferences again and meeting up face-to-face. That's put a huge amount of pressure on conference organisers. Adding to that pressure is the fact that with social media, it's possible to critique and pick your conference apart in real time. Imagine the pressure my guest today has felt. She's just organised and run one of the biggest medical conferences in the country. She's done it living in a different city to where the conference was organised and she's one of the biggest names on social media in the medical field herself. That sounds pretty stressful to me. So we're going to take the mask off the Twitter handle of Gong Gas Girl and find out more here on Dr Rama. You're listening to Dr Rama with Steve Robson bringing you the best of health, medicine and people. My guest today is Dr Tanya Selak, one of Australia's best-known anaesthetists. She's also a big name on social media. Welcome to Dr Rahman. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Well, that, that's great. May I call you uh, Tanya? Of course, yes. We've been Twitter mates for years. You can call me whatever you like. We're tight. Well, look, I, I'm, I'm sorely tempted as uh, someone on the surgical side to call you anesthesia. Uh, yeah, I, I, re- I respond that. to that as well. That's fine. It's all good. Tanya, you uh, grew up in New Zealand, I think around Auckland, and did your training there. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm a born and bred Kiwi. Um, went to medical school there, started anaesthesia training, sat my exam, and then uh, went to London for a few years. And then on the way back home to Auckland, stopped in Wollongong for a year, and that was 16 years ago. <laughs> so, wow, not, okay. not quite there yet. <laughs> When the pandemic was on, did you find it difficult being isolated from family and the people you knew in New Zealand? Was that an issue for you? It was the most horrific thing. And really, I don't think the loneliness and the separation of the pandemic can be overstated. So I remember distinctly when uh, Jacinta Ardern in New Zealand closed the borders to New Zealand. It was a day or two before Australia did the same. And I actually had to go into my room and cry for half an hour. And partly I was so relieved that um, my family and friends in New Zealand would be protected from this wave that was coming. I was so grateful for that but also I'm so confronted to know that the border was closed to sort of know that you just couldn't get on a plane in Sydney and pop home to Auckland, you know, if somebody needed you. It's an extremely confronting thing to have happen to you. And obviously I'm not alone in that. Um, Many people experienced that, but I really, um, I really hated it. I hated it. It was horrible. I understand necessary but I think a personal toll that everyone took, actually. And I must say, when I spoke to all of my patients during that time, I'd say, how's the pandemic going for you? And everyone had a story of separation, whether it's you know their daughter having the first baby in Dubai in August and hoping they would get there, or someone's dying in Perth or missing a, a wedding or a birthday or a funeral. I think that was really widespread. So... I'm, yeah, I wasn't fond of it, really confronting. Yeah, I think it was so difficult for so many people. But you've been separated from New Zealand for quite a while now. When you, I guess, 
moved or made that move from New Zealand to Australia, did you notice any big differences either in the way medicine is practised or in, I guess, culturally? Uh, Were there any things that really stood out for you in that change? Mm. So it's really interesting to me in my 20s leaving Auckland to go to the NHS in London for three years. Um, I had sort of heard that there wasn't uh, the NHS was underfunded and there um, was really difficult to get medical care there. This, we're talking um, maybe 19 years ago now, but actually compared to the healthcare in New Zealand, I actually felt that parts of the NHS were much better funded uh, than Auckland had been. And then um, I was in the NHS for about three years and then ended up in Wollongong. And again, I just feel like there's just there's just more healthcare. There's more healthcare in Australia uh, than there was in the NHS and than there was in, in Auckland. So where did you work in the UK? So when I um, arrived, I had just sat my primary anaesthetic exam in Melbourne, passed, flew home to Auckland, was there two days and arrived in London with an interview at um, Chelsea and Westminster. So I think I arrived on a Monday, had an interview on a Tuesday uh, and I said, because I'd been studying for my primary, I hadn't really planned anything. And they said, oh, when do, because they love Aussies and Kiwis, right? Especially one that had sat their exam and could do the on-call. So um, they, they really like us. So they said, oh, okay, we, you can have a job. You, when do you want to start? And I was like, well, I've got no money um, because at the time the exchange rate, the NZ dollar to the UK pound was four to one. And to get a flat, we had to pay, um, it was £285 a week for our flat. And that you had to pay, you know, four weeks ahead and three weeks bond. So that was all of our money. Um, And so we couldn't even eat at McDonald's. So this is my husband and I. So (laughs) we remember being at Waterloo Station looking at the McDonald's going, can we, do you reckon we could have, do you reckon we could have a cheeseburger combo? And it was like, nah, home to the nine-piece soup. We've got no cash. So, um, yeah, so I got there on, you know, Wednesday and it was like, okay, yeah, I want to work as soon as possible. So started on the Monday and those four days between arriving and starting work, I just walked around London and I just, my head exploded. It was so exciting to see all of those sites that I'd only seen on the TV and in books. I just, I couldn't believe it. Big Ben and the Thames and the Tower of London as a kid in a candy store, it was so wonderful. So, yes, I started at Chelsea and Westminster and then for three years um, different people sort of handed me off to different apartment, different departments in central London. It was the most wonderful time. Yeah, look, I, I had a similar experience. I went to the UK probably not that much before you in the, in the mid-'90s and worked, and it was a well-trodden path from people from Australia and New Zealand. Often there were jobs that were almost handed down to the next New Zealander or Australian who was was arriving. Um, And Chelsea and Westminster, what a fantastic place to work. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because people said, oh, this is a really really fancy place to work. And actually the fanciest part of it was the bus trip to get there because we lived opposite St Thomas's Hospital in a tiny little flat and I would go on the 211 bus every day and sit on the sit on the top of a double-decker bus in the front row um, and take this really cool bus trip to work. Um, I thought that was really exciting. It, it never got old, right, really. It's so cool. Yeah, it, it really is great being surrounded by all of that. You've been established in Australia for many years now. We'd almost consider you a local, but not quite. Um, what, what do you like about Wollongong? What's kept you there? 
So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? I'm the type of person, I haven't had any major life plan. It is interesting when I speak to some trainees, they've got their lives really mapped out. They're very fixed in terms of their goals and their five-year plan. I'm, I mean, that's incredible. I've never... I've never been like that. Um, so even when I was a teenager and I applied to med school, I didn't really know what medicine was, to be honest. I thought, oh, well, I, you know, kid of immigrants, people think it's a good thing to do. I thought, oh, well, it's a six-year course. By the end, I'll know what I want to do. Um, <laughs> and arrived on the interview day, like my mum convinced me to, ta- to not wear jeans to the interview because I just had no, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> No one I knew was a doctor. I didn't know. You know, and then you find out everyone else has been practicing for interviews for a year or two and they're a bit more organized. So I'm not the type to have had a plan. Um, but we had planned, my husband's a surgeon, so we planned to stop in Wollongong for a year on the way back to Auckland. And we just love it. It's just the people are really nice. Um, it's a beautiful, the scenery's beautiful. We live on the beach. It's between the escarpment and the sea. Um, it's quite close to a major international airport, so that was a big driver for us. So that if we needed to get home to family, we really could quite easily. There's a lot of a lot of doctors in Wollongong are like that, and it's a really beautiful community. Love the patients, um, and in the meantime, we bought land, built a house, and had three babies. So you know, one thing led to another. Fantastic! <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, so Tanya, I first, um, I guess got to know you, albeit virtually, through following you on Twitter. And I have to say the first thing I thought was that you're completely hilarious. Do you think bringing humour to what you do is important to the way you work? I think that as doctors we see some really, really awful things on a day-to-day basis, just talking about medically with our patients. I mean, you're an obstetrician gynecologist. You would see, you know, you've been in rooms today. You would have seen beautiful patients and some of them will have had some very bad things happening to them. We're sort of awash with cancer and death and, you know, trauma. It's really horrible. And I think, gosh, we've seen, you know, I've been in it 20 years. I've seen a lot of really bad things as anyone, any nurse, doctor working in healthcare has. So I do think one of our coping mechanisms is this kind of sometimes black humour that we have. And I think we, we, we bond together with the things that the, we see and the things that we have to do. So um, I think, what are you going to do? Are you going to laugh or are you going to cry? I, I do think there is sometimes, it is a bit tricky on social media though, because sometimes we can say an offhand thing. Um, and it can certainly get twisted, and I've certainly made errors like that before, where I've forgotten that it's public. I've forgotten that maybe an offhand thing can be twisted, and they're not people. Maybe don't understand what you're saying. So it is a tricky line to tread. But you know, what are you going to do? You can't live in fear the whole time. Absolutely. Now, speaking of living in fear. Organising the ANSCA conference that ran a, a few weeks ago must have been an extraordinary and daunting thing to have to do. And you did some wonderful things. I saw stories of runs and all sorts of things happening. Talk me through how you approached such an enormous job with such a high level of expectation around it. Yes. So, um, yeah, so it was the most 
professionally satisfying gig of my career. It was just so wonderful to be a part of it. I think for us at Ansca, the last in-person had been in Kuala Lumpur in 2018, sorry, 2019, um, you know, before the world changed. So we um, had a beautiful regional organising committee and the Ansca events team, you know, as a group effort for three years, really worked hard on this thing. And our theme was Be Connected because we just we just felt like you know as we talked about before with the um, border closures and the loneliness and the pandemic we did really want to encourage an in-person event um, quite a risky proposition in these post-covid times as to whether people want to travel and come and meet um, but it was just so it was so wonderful to see everyone together and meet People hadn't seen each other for ages. They've been through some serious ups and downs. I mean, online education is great. I've participated in lots of it. It's wonderful. But it is not the same as being in a room together, as having a cup of coffee together, having those chit-chats, meeting new people, connecting with the old ones. It's just not the same. And so for me, I was just, I was overwhelmed with good vibes. I mean, I ran into mentors who had taught me in Auckland years ago and it was so nice to see them. It was so nice to hear what they'd been up to. I just, um, it's just beautiful. So although it was a lot of work and you don't get much sleep, uh, we do it together. So you don't feel alone, you don't feel fearful, you just feel kind of awash with the possibilities of it. I felt um, I felt more sad for the people who'd gone before us who had prepared an in-person meeting and had to change to online. And I think I had a renewed appreciation of how sad that must have been. And I, I sort of understood it was sad at the time we made those decisions, but I think when you've really invested your heart and soul trying to work out how you're going to get all these speakers together and who's going to be going next to who and who you're putting in a session together and how that's all going to be, um, to not see that actually come to fruition in front of you must have been really, really tough. So kudos to them, really. Yeah. So, look, the, the the meeting got rave reviews. All of my anaesthetic colleagues who came back thought it was fantastic. So congratulations to you and, and all of the people who worked on the ANSCA meeting. One of the big problems, and I'm sure you know this as much as me, is that meetings can be picked apart in real time and all you need is an inadvertent mantle or some sort of uh, off-colour event. I saw at an ONG meeting someone got slapped uh, last week. The unexpected can happen and really travel very quickly on social media. Was that on people's minds organising the conference? Yeah, I think um, I too saw that um, ONG meeting with the, um, you know, the speaker getting slapped by an audience member. I must say, it's funny you should mention it because I actually, I contacted my um, team and we said, oh, there but the grace, there but the grace of God goes God. Thank goodness. Oh, wow. We didn't have that. Um, I think that's, I think the risk is, you know, if you get out of bed in the morning and do anything, there is a risk that something goes wrong. Like the only way you can have absolute guarantee that nothing goes wrong is that you do nothing, be nothing, say nothing. 
So if you want to, if you want to have a risk-free life, just don't bother getting out of bed in the morning, right? But that's not a very satisfactory, you know, fun existence. So um, yeah, we we were aware of that. Um, I think we're pretty on the mantle issue. We're pretty we're pretty primed with that um, in our specialty. Maybe it's easier than other specialties to avoid such such a topic because we we have you know the gender is not such a big problem in our in our specialty um, but there are areas of anesthesia which are quite male dominated so um, the classic one is regional anesthesia for some reason that seems to be a very kind of man's sphere I don't I don't know quite why that is maybe it's changing um, so yeah we were very um, cognizant of that we're very clear with our speakers about our code of conduct for our conference and in fact we have other organizations who have asked to borrow that so that uh, when we ask our speakers to to please uh, contribute to our meeting, we're so grateful to them. We we sort of say, well, look, these are our these are our rules of engagement, and this is what we expect of people who are participating. And we really had no problem. We didn't even come anywhere near any problem with anybody. Um, I think I think we went okay. Um, I think in terms of organising the conference, you can't please everybody. It's it's not possible. I think one of the um, one of the contentions contentious items for us was our college ceremony. We had um, because the exam folk were so good at getting people through examinations and through to the end of training during the pandemic. We had an enormous number of candidates who were eligible to present at the college ceremony. Um, and it's so sad that we had to limit the numbers who presented on that evening because um, we just couldn't do each of them justice. Like we think it's such an incredible thing to get to the end of fellowship. Um, so we've asked some of those to come to Brisbane next year, which will also be an amazing conference. But, you know, that's, you know, what do you do? You do you do have to kind of make some decisions Um so that you can have a ceremony which is really special. And I think we had 270 or so people that evening um, and then went to the art gallery for a big party. So you do get little things like that where you have to make a decision and you might get some people that are not, you know, are not happy. So, you know, we feel bad about those things, but you just have to make a decision and, and go with it and explain to people what your reasonings are and that you've you've thought about it and and you you kind of understood um, that it hasn't worked out for them, but um, that they've got the opportunity to, to do it next year. Look, Tanya, it's been enormous fun speaking with you this afternoon. It's wonderful that you took the time to speak with us. I hope that we can speak again. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Dr Rama. And uh, as always, uh, I'm not sure what the uh, – Kiwi for goodbye is. Um, I'll say <laughs> <laughs> cheerio. And uh, my yeah, my my favourite New Zealand phrase is from the roads: "Merge like a zipper." I just wonderfully love that sign around uh, <laughs> New Zealand roads. All the best, Tanya. Thanks so much. All right, bye bye. <laughs> Cheers. Bye bye. You've been listening to Dr. Rama, a podcast produced on Ngunnawal country by the Australian Medical Association. All rights reserved.